for Victory Midtown. Somebody say praise Jesus. We are glad to be in the house today. And those who are worshiping with us online, we're so glad that you're with us. Listen, I don't know about you, uh, but I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Can I get one witness? That's what I'm talking about. Well, listen, I want to do something. Before I actually start to minister the message today, um, the Lord has already started to minister even through our worship time. Uh, And as the worship team, they were singing uh, that last song, Communion, I really believe that God really wants us to have a firm understanding that it's not about that we have to prove something, that he's already approved of us. And so before we jump in, I want to really invite you to pray with me today, because today this is a message that I believe is critical to us really walking in what God has for us. As I was sitting over there a minute ago, the Lord was just interrogating me and how we need to actually take our posture as we move forward in this last series of the year. And so as I get ready to jump into it, if you would just bow your heads for a moment and pray with me as we posture our hearts to receive. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this great day. Lord, we understand that you are calling us home. And home is not just a physical location. Home is where your heart is. And so, Father, I thank you right now that as we open ourselves up and open our hearts and our minds, that there will be no distraction today to receiving that which you're saying. Take every word from my lips and translate it by the Holy Spirit into the exact thing that every person needs today. Father, I thank you right now that transformation shall take place today, that rejuvenation shall take place today, and that you shall be glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. The reason I want to take a little bit of time just to kind of ease into that and to pray into that is because, as we said even last week, we're in this last series of the year, and it's a crucial series that we're doing because we want to make sure that as we started this year very intentionally, we want to end this year very intentionally. We started this year really doing the inner work, talking about emotional healing, talking about uh, psychological healing, making sure that we get rid of any impediment that will keep us from walking in the greatness that God wants to see translated through us out to the world around us. And as we end this year, what we're doing is we save the best for last, we want to say. Or we could say we save the most crucial for last. And this last series about home is really about the Father's love. And so I want to let you know that if you didn't know already, the Father's love is the most important factor in our lives. I know we talk about that in church, and I know that should be a given, but I want to let you know that how you see the Father and how you relate to the Father, it literally shapes every single thing you do. It shapes how you receive information and how you give information. It shapes how you are when you're up, and it shapes how you are when you're down. It shapes you when you are actually tempted to respond outside of the character of God, but God is saying, hey, I want you to understand who I've already called you to be. And so as we end this year with this series, I really want us to really grab this, and I want us to do this. I want these two words to ring in your heart, proper perspective. Come on, say it with me. Say proper perspective. See, as we get the proper perspective of how God wants us to see him and how he relates to us, everything in your life can change. And so as we do this, what we're doing is I want to make sure that I even kind of echo a statement that I made last week that we don't just run by it and we had it in our notes last week, but we never revisit it. Today, I want to say this statement again, and I want you to grab it. I want you to screenshot it. As a matter of fact, some of us need to put it on our uh, screensaver on our phone. And this statement is on the screen. It's this by Jimmy Evans. It said, we can only get as close to God as our image of God will allow. We can only get as close to God 
as our image of God will allow. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and give a disclaimer. Uh, I've had my caffeine for the morning. I've gotten my workout in the morning. I'm ready to go. But I'm going to let you know I'm probably going to pace it out a little bit today. Because this is not a message that you need to be hyped about. This is a message that needs to go deep in the heart. And today, I believe the Lord, Holy Spirit, he's going to interrogate us and allow us to be able to see ourselves through the scriptures and see where are the areas that he wants to make some adjustments and where are some areas that he wants to refine us. And so as we jump into this message, what we're doing over these last four weeks in this series is that we are dealing with a very familiar passage of Scripture. Many of us have heard of this called the parable of the prodigal son. And so as we deal with this, we're actually doing it in a way that's very unique. We're taking every week in this four-week series, and we're kind of changing the perspective. We're going to talk and speak from the perspective of one of the characters each and every week so that we can actually learn some different things. And so last week, we kicked it off by dealing with the one that we kind of know about. We dealt with the younger son, the one who we know he was out there living in riotous living. It's the one you don't want to be like. But I want to give a quick paraphrase and kind of just bring us back to bear on what we talked about last week. Last week, as we started in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, we see this younger son. We see this young man who actually woke up one day and he had an epiphany. He said, self... I think you actually can do better outside of your home. Now, home is comfortable. Bills are paid. You don't have to worry about the roof over your head. You don't have to worry about how things are are going. Yes, you have to do a little work, but home is comfortable. But I think you can do better. So what he did is that he went to his father and he made a demand on his father. He said, give me my share. Now, I said last week that apparently his father did not go to the same school of parenting that my father went to. Because if our son spoke to us in that tone of voice, you might not see him for a very long time. And so he made this demand of his father. And what's so critical about this story is that God is not trying to get us to see this father image through the eyes of what we're used to. He's actually given us a dynamically different picture of what a father is. So much so that that father in this story, what he did is he said, okay, you know, I'm going to give you your inheritance. But it wasn't that easy. What he had to do is he had to go liquidate his assets. He had to go through some trouble to do it. And what's even more critical is that this son in making this demand, he didn't necessarily realize, or maybe he did, that the only way that he could get his inheritance or his share of the inheritance is if his father was dead. So what he was actually saying to his father, as we said last week, was, I wish you were dead. I'm actually more concerned with what I can get from you than even having you physically here. And so this father, even as he goes through and works through the disrespect and the rejection that is there, he actually go ahead, he gives this young son his inheritance. And so his young son, he gets the inheritance, he, he gets this money, he goes and he blows the bag. For those of those you don't know what blows the bag means, he spent all the money. He spent all the money. He had a good time. He actually went and bought some prostitutes. He had all of this good, what he thought was a good time. And then something shifted. A famine happened in the land. And so what he found himself in that famine, he had to come to himself. He had to understand that now I've hit rock bottom. I need to go back to where my source is. Maybe it wasn't so bad at home. And so as he went home, he expected to go home and find himself condemned. But when he went home, he found that his father was looking for him the whole time. 
that his father was eagerly and anticipatingly waiting for him to actually come home. So what he did, his father didn't wait for him to come to him. His father ran towards him. See, the type of father that Jesus is trying to get us to see in this picture is not a father that actually looks down on you and shuns you and actually punishes you for your wrong. This is the father that actually wants to come to you and say, welcome home. I'm kissing you. I'm embracing you. And I want you to feel welcome here. So what we see as we actually end that part of the story, if it ended like that, it will be okay. That's a great story. But wait, there's more. We actually want to look at that as act one. As we look at the shifting into act two, what we see at the end of that story is that this father, he threw a block party for his son. He invited everybody out. He said, come on, you know, I'm going to cook some stuff. I'm going to make sure we have some good non-alcoholic beverages over here. Come through, you know, bring your own plate. You can eat with us too. And so as he did that, what we find is that we're going to actually deal with the perspective today about this other brother. Because the story, as we said last week, is actually more accurately called the parable of the two lost sons. So today we're going to pick up on the perspective of this other son, this older brother. As a matter of fact, what we're going to call this older brother and call this message today is a lost brother. A lost brother. So as this father throws this block party for his son that was missing. Jesus continues the story in verse 25 of Luke chapter 15. In verse 25, it says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. It goes on to say the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, he was like creating distance. He didn't say my brother. He said, this son of yours, you know those people you try to create distance with? I don't know who they are. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fattened calf for him. Now, this passage of scripture is loaded with truth. But what I want to do, I've told you this before, I don't just read the Bible and look at it as a historic document. I try to bring it into today and how that would feel for me today. And so picture this as it was today. You have this older brother who now is there by himself at the house. He's in July, Atlanta, Georgia heat outside working in the field. Somebody say he's hot. He's out there working and, you know, he's, he's doing the work. And all of a sudden, he starts to get these social media notifications on his Apple Watch. He starts to get all these notifications. He starts to see he's tagged in pictures and he sees Insta stories and reels. And somebody's like, man, it got 35,000 views already. And he goes and he picks up his phone and he looks and sees that people are tagging him and hashtagging this hashtag YBIB. Your boy is back. 
So he looks at this and he takes it in and he's like, man, he, he sees people posing with pictures, you know, people posing. He's like, you know, you can't have a real pose until somebody does this. So they're posing in these pictures and he gets mad, y'all. He gets furious. You know how you do when you see somebody partying on Instagram. You're like, they owe me money. How can they afford to be out there doing that? He gets upset because literally he kind of did owe him money. And so as you look at this, we see that this older brother, he was upset. He was furious. And what we see here is that there's a dynamic at play. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to just read this as scripture. This is what I want you to know. Imagine that this older brother, what he had to go through. Imagine that he was the one left behind, that while this younger brother of his went off, he still had to stay behind. See, in this agricultural society, there still was work to be done. The work didn't diminish. Now, he just had to take it all on. So he's a little upset. He's a little salty, y'all. But not only that, I could imagine, I put myself in this story, I started to meditate on this, and I started to think about the fact of how I would feel if I had to watch my father every day look longingly with anticipation every day, looking over the horizon, hoping and wishing his son would come back. I almost feel like this older brother, this older son, was actually very protective of the father. What he was actually saying is like, man, my dad is struggling. Man, he's upset. Man, he, he almost has resolved that his son is dead. So I'm having to watch him pick himself up every day. I'm having to watch him go out here and put himself through this agony. And all along, while my father is so concerned about this son that left, I'm right here. Does he really even see me? Is he really paying attention to me? Does he really understand, you know, what I've done? I'm doing everything he asked me to do. I'm making sure that I till the ground. I'm making sure that I actually finish my chores. But does he even care? And so as we look at this, sometimes we can cast judgment on people in the Bible or judgment on people that we live with, never knowing the internal struggle that they're actually going through. So as we look at this, There's a lot of cultural connotation in this scripture, even about how the father threw this party and he he had the fattened calf and, you know, they were cooking because that was a rarity. And so what we see here, one of the things that Jesus wants to illuminate to us, it says that the brother refused to go into the celebration that was put on by his father. See, that was an insult. He was being very disrespectful on purpose in this particular moment. Have you ever been mad at somebody and you want them to know you're mad? You don't want them to have to guess. You're giving them the stank face. You're folding your arms. You're answering a text back with K. (laughs) So as we look at this, what we see is that he wanted to make sure that the father really knew that he wasn't happy with him. He was trying to remind the father that, hey, don't you remember that he humiliated us? Don't you remember that he left us? But here's the thing that I want us to grab. As we look at this piece, what the older son was saying by not going into the party was, if you want to talk to me, you got to come out here and talk to me. If you want my attention, I need you to now come to me because I'm not doing it. It takes another level in verse 29 where it says, the older son says, look. Now, hold up. When I read the Bible, 
And I look at this back then or even now, you would have thought there would have been some type of level of reverence that the son would have had for his father. He would have at least said, yes, sir, or dad or father. This right here is like him saying, hey, Tom, <laughs> calling him by his first name or me. My, my dad's name is Andrew. Hey, Andrew, you need to get it together now. <laughs> trouble. That's what that would have been. And, and this is what I want to say. I know we're in a racially reconciled church, but I want to just let some of my brothers and sisters in from other races in on something. That was not okay. Because in the household that I came from, you would have been excommunicado. You would have not made it back to see your friends for many times to come. Somebody said amen to that one. So here it is. This wasn't okay, but he tried it. And he goes on to his father, and he says these things, and the way that he's talking, the way that he's communicating, it actually reveals the very state of his heart. He says things like, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me a goat, but you killed the fattened calf for my brother. Here it is. I kind of hear him saying, hey, God, Dad, you never even bought me a Chick-fil-A nugget. But you're going to give him fried lobster tail and filet mignon from Chops? Where they do that at? He was upset because there were real things affecting him because he was comparing and contrasting himself by someone else. And so as we look at this, here it is. He was actually speaking the dialect of entitlement. Yeah, somebody needs to write that down. He was speaking in the dialect of entitlement, using words like, I did this, so I deserve that. Isn't it funny that we only want to remind God of what we deserve when it fits us? I'm so glad that God didn't give me what I deserved. I'm so glad that we have a heavenly father who sees me and loves me and gives me grace and allows me to have forgiveness over and over and over again. I don't want what I deserve. I want what he has given to me in the sacrifice of Jesus. And so as we look at this, what we find is that there is something very key that we need to take note of. This statement is going to be on the screen, but I want you to hear this. I want you to know that it is very possible to be doing the right thing with the wrong motive. It's very possible you can be doing the very right thing. See, there was nothing wrong with him working in the field. The work had to be done. There was nothing wrong with him being committed. The commitment had to be there. But you can be doing the very right thing with the wrong motive and wondering why you're not getting the results that God has for you. It's a hard thing. Because he wasn't serving from love for the family or gratitude for his father. It was just work to him. It was just work where he was trying to prove his worth. And so as we look at this, here it is. He thought this was how it worked. I do this. I get that. But he was more focused on what he could get from the father than having the father himself. So while he was judging his younger son for going and taking his stuff and actually just taking the father's hand, he was doing the very same thing, just in a different, more sophisticated way. Have you ever seen those people that they're doing the same thing you did when you fell short? They're just a little more sly about it. God is wanting us to see right here there is an important principle that we need to grab through the Father's love. And here's the place where Jesus starts to give us major keys that we need to grab and take hold of. Jesus is trying to show us a few things. I want to give you the first one. The first thing he's trying to show us is that perspective is everything. 
Perspective is everything. How you see shapes everything. You can have two people seeing the very same thing, but if one person's vision is jaded, if one person is seeing from a place of hurt, if one person is seeing from a place of entitlement, you will get a totally different message from that person. There can be two people sitting right next to each other in this sanctuary, in this sanctified place, and you walk out and have two totally different things that you heard from the message. Because perspective is everything. What is perspective? Perspective is a particular attitude toward or away of regarding something. It's a particular attitude towards or a way of regarding something. And what we see right here is that the older brother, this older lost son, he actually had a perspective that was skewed. What he was doing, this is very important, he had a perspective of a slave instead of a son. He was seeing in the way that he was a slave instead of a son, thinking that what he did with his works was actually what gave him value. And write this statement down. It's in your notes. The older brother wasn't working out of love for the father. He was working to get something from the father. He was trying to earn his significance, trying to earn his spot. And so as we look at this, what's actually at play in the scripture and what I wanted to really get to us today is actually one of the most subtle sins that can plague each and every one of us if we're not aware and if we're not careful. What is that sin? I'm glad you asked. It's the subtle sin of self-righteousness. Told you, I'm going to slow down a little bit today because I believe sometimes we, we run over things and we, we, we are hype and we're excited about things. We're even watching online right now. We can kind of just let things kind of go in the background, let the service play while I'm cooking. That's okay. But I need us to know that God desires our hearts and he doesn't want us to fall in this subtle sin of self-righteousness. What is self-righteousness? It's defined as this, the belief that one is morally upright and has earned salvation because of strict adherence to moral and religious laws, often associated with an attitude of superiority toward those who are considered less righteous, less sanctified, less holy. And when I read this and I read that definition, some of us might have a few initial thoughts. The first thought, you're like, I know some of those judgmental people. Some of y'all had pictures in your mind come up, people that you know. You started to write a list. Hold on before you write that list. The second thing that might come to your mind is that you don't even consider at all the fact that you could be operating in self-righteousness. And then the third thing and most important thing that we need to consider is we need to say, hey, I could actually possibly fall into this place of self-righteousness. See, the challenge is that most people have a response in one or two, but all of us need to have the response of number three, which is, this could be me. And so what I want to do as we're looking at this, I want us to start asking the question, could I be operating in this? Am I doing something that I'm actually keeping myself distant from the heart of God, from the Father's house, from coming home? And what I also want us to know is this, there's a little bit of older brother in each and every one of us. There's a little bit of older brother in all of us who sometimes feel like we are entitled to certain things. And so the reason I can say that is because many of us, we come to church, we lift our hands, we serve in different ministries, we show up and we say, okay, I'm doing all this while secretly judging the sins and the shortcomings of other people that look overt while not dealing with the fact that I have some covert sins. 
Not understanding that everybody just can't see what I do. What if there was a video recorder on your life 24-7? What would we see? And so when we think of that perspective, that will give us grace. That will give us a place where we will stop judging people, stop looking, stop thinking about our works. Because if my life was put on a big screen, would I want that to be seen? So as we look at this, here it is. If you're only doing what's right to get merit from God, your energy is misplaced. If you're only doing what's right because you're afraid that you're going to actually get struck down with lightning or God is going to do something or you're going to get cursed, that's not the position that he wants us to be in. Self-righteousness, watch this. Self-righteousness is the idea that I can work to earn something from God. And that idea is very dangerous. See, I've been burdened about this message all week. I came up here yesterday. I was praying. I was actually walking up and down here praying. And I felt like the Lord wanted to break some things over his people today that we stop judging ourselves by what we do, either good or bad. That we truly understand that the the sacrifice of Jesus is what makes us new, which makes us valuable, which makes us available to walk out what he has for us to walk out. And I'm burdened by this because I'm literally in relationship with people right now who they stay away from church for seasons because they feel like they didn't do all the right things enough and someone's going to see right through them. I'm burdened by this because there are people who literally stay out of church for weeks and months because they're like, I know what I did this week. Are they going to smell it on me? Are they going to see it on me? See, I'm not worried about all that. What I'm wanting us to know is that God says, come home. The Father, he knows what you already did. I'm not actually giving permission to sin, but what I'm saying is that don't let your falling down keep you from going in. I'm burdened by this because I see people self-checking. I'm burdened by this because there are so many people that are potent with potential. There are so many people that God truly wants to use, but they're saying, I don't have it all together, so I can't show up like that. I have an announcement for this room and those who are worshiping online. Jesus Christ gives you an opportunity to come home. No matter what you did, no matter where you find yourself, he's saying, come home. Stop judging yourself because you can't get it all together even if you tried. So as we're looking at this, let's take the next step. In verse 28, the older brother became angry. He refused to go in. And if we remember when we read the story last week, Jesus was telling the story in between two groups of people. He was telling the story to two people. There were the sinners and there were the saints. The younger brother story really deals with those who are the sinners. While this one, he's making it very plain that I need to get a message to those who think that they're the saints. And so as we look at this, what we're really dealing with, write this down, we're dealing with older brother syndrome. Older brother syndrome. You want to get with it? Let me tell you something. You might find yourself in older brother syndrome. Here it is. If you feel like God has to get your permission to bless somebody that you don't think is worth it, you might be operating in older brother syndrome. If you're that person that you're looking around saying, how did they get that? Or how did they get with them? Don't they know what they, you might be operating in older brother syndrome. If you always have to justify your righteousness by what you do, by how much time you put in, by how many scriptures you read this week or didn't read, you might be operating in older brother syndrome. Here's the big one. 
if you have no grace for people who sin differently from you, I didn't say they don't sin. Their sins are different than yours. They're the overt sins, and you're hiding your hand. You're doing the same stuff. If you have no grace for them, you might be operating an older brother syndrome. So as we look at this, here it is. What this son, this older son, this older brother's actions were actually saying was that it's not my sins that are keeping me from coming home. It's my righteousness that's keeping me from coming home. Hear that. Some of you are like, how can you be righteous and and actually feel like you're not coming home? I'm talking about the form of righteousness. I'm talking about, again, self-righteousness, where you think you have it together or you've earned your way or you're entitled to it. And so as we look at this, here it is. Here's a statement that I want to give you. I want to lay this on you. As a matter of fact, I need you to lean in on this one. Come on, lean in. All over the room. Our good deeds can actually keep you just as distant from God as our sins can. Our good deeds, when you start to feel yourself, when you start to say all these things that I've done, when you start to say, you know, God, don't you know what I did? I serve in the church. I've given this much time. And why am I not still doing this? Your, your, your righteousness that you feel you have can keep you just as distant from actually receiving the Father's love than somebody operating in one of those obvious sins. And so what we have to do is we have to shift. And I love the way Flannery O'Connor, she said something. She's a novelist, and she wrote this about a particular character in a book who was trying to reconcile a relationship with Jesus. Listen to this and listen very carefully. She says this. The best way to avoid Jesus was to avoid sin. If you are avoiding sin and living morally so that God will have to bless and save you, then ironically, you may be looking at Jesus as teacher, model, and helper, but you are avoiding him as savior. You are trusting in your own goodness rather than in Jesus for your standing with God. You are trying to save yourself by following Jesus. See, that's, that's deeper than I could even go into right now. I can't break it down, but I need you to go back and save this in you version and look at it later and ask yourself, am I trying to actually get to God just by what I do? Am I only looking at him for what he can save me for? Or do I have a real intimate relationship with God the Father? Watch this. Here it is. This is something to write down. This is not in your notes. A commitment to morality, void of true dependence on God, is an attempt to get a reward from God at the expense of God himself. I'm going to slow it down, run it back, and play it again. Some of y'all are like, I can't write that fast. <laughs> Listen to this. A commitment to morality, void of true dependence on God, is an attempt to get a reward from God at the expense of God himself. What that means is that you can be so caught up with trying to do the right thing that you never really step into the intimacy of God. You can be so caught up with trying to do the actions of the right thing, where somebody sees you serving, where somebody sees you reading the Bible, where you post. Some of us post things on social media that has not even gotten on the inside of us. We're posting scriptures for other people that we have not digested yet. And so as we look at this, here it is. Anytime that you would say, I'm doing this to please God, you're in a dangerous place. 
Because again, you can't earn the grace of God. And as I said earlier, perspective is everything, which takes me to this next thing that we have to grab. We need to live in the mindset of a son instead of a slave. When I say son, I'm talking about the men and women in the room, that we have an inheritance in God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, verse 25 says he was in the field. And what I want you to grab, and if you are taking notes, write this down. The field represents the older brother's works as a means of love and acceptance. It actually has him trying to actually prove himself for his inheritance. And so as we grab this, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. I, I don't do too many, too many uh, double lean-ins in the service, but y'all got to lean in. This is just good to me. This was transforming my life this week, so I want you to grab it. That person, oh, come on, lean in with me. Lean in. You on the couch, lean in with me. Hear this, hear this. This older brother actually had more relationship with the field than he had with the father. He had more relationship with the field than he had with the father. And what he was doing is he was actually posturing himself as a slave. Because here's the thing that I want you to grab. A slave is only as good as what they can give you through their actions. A slave is only as good as what they can provide in the moment. And so as we look at this, here it is. We can't have more passion for the field we're working in than the father we're trying to fellowship with. We cannot have more passion for the field, for the works of our hands that we're doing than we have for the Father that we actually need to encounter. When we find ourselves doing that, that's why you see people that are burnt out on church. Because you're serving not because God sees it. You're serving to actually prove that I'm godly. You're serving because you think that your works actually equate to intimacy. And so as we look at this, here it is. If you work to gain acceptance, you'll have to keep working to maintain acceptance. And I don't know about you, but I'm not that good. I can't keep it together that long. That's why I'm grateful for the grace of God. I'm grateful for the hand of God on my life that he would say, I knew you were going to mess up. Even when you said, I ain't going to do that again, Lord. I knew you were going to do it again. But I need you to know it's not your works that makes me love you. It's the inheritance that I've given you that makes me love you. So as we look at this, here it is. What we're really talking about is the posture of sonship. Again, we can't be slaves. We have to be sons. We're talking about the posture of sonship. And in Romans 8, verse 15, it tells us this posture of sonship. Let's read it. Verse 15, it says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Circle that. Write that down. Highlight it. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, the way you speak indicates your relationship with God. If you only see God as the provider, if you only see God as the judgment person, if you only see God as the person who's trying to just make you get it together, you're not really walking in intimacy. When you say, Abba, Father, you're saying, I'm one with you, God. You're my father. I trust you. I need you. And what the older brother was missing while he was upset, 
He was actually complaining about not having what was already his. See, when the younger brother left, he took his share. So everything else at the estate was his. Because as the older brother, you got a double portion. And so what he's doing is he's missing the very point. He's at the blessing, not taking hold of the blessing. He's in the place of freedom, not taking hold of freedom. He's sitting here saying, Father, you don't see me. And the father is saying, why are you complaining? Everything else is here. What this older brother was doing is he had himself self-checked. You know those people, you're playing basketball, and it's that one person you don't have to cover. You can actually cover somebody else and double-team because they're self-checked. He was self-checked. He was keeping himself out of the game. But hear this. Again, Luke 15, 31, it says this. I love what the father says. He says, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. You are with me, and everything I have is yours. See, as a son and a daughter of God, you don't have to strive to go get something. It's already yours. The greatest gift that we have is access to him. What we do is we put ourselves in a mode of we live in a house and there's a refrigerator full of food and refrigerator full of drinks, and you have access to it, but you're going knocking on the door of your parents and saying, can I have some? They're like, everything I have is yours, but you have to accept it. And so as I look at this, I'm reminded of even how I've told you before with our son Maximus, every single day we hold him up and we say, Maximus, you are endowed with power, strength, and authority and peace. His name means greatest, but we don't just say, yes, you're great. We say, yes, your name means greatest, but you're not great because of something you do. I literally said this to him the other day, and he looked at me just with those googly eyes, and it was so great. I literally said to him the other day, you are great. You are established, and you can't do anything to prove that to me. And I love how he couldn't necessarily say formed words back to me, but I felt like the Lord kind of gives us that as a picture. As he's telling you right now, son, daughter, you are loved. Everything I have is yours. You are great. I want to bring everything that I put inside of you, out of you, for the world around you. But you have to first accept that you can't prove your greatness. You just need to be great in me. And so as we look at this, this is a moment where I want to do something a little bit different. Because a lot of times we come to this part of the service and we end and we move out and, you know, we kind of go through the motions. But some of you are hearing this message today and you're like, okay, I'm hearing the different sides. I'm hearing a different perspective about God. But I recognize that I first, before I can even say that I could even be tempted by self-righteousness, I need to get right first. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to accept this gift that he's given me. So this is what I want to do before we shift and do something else. I want us to bow our heads for a moment. If you're in here right now and you declare that you don't want to end this year and then go into the next year not secured in your relationship with God, If you want to be someone who says, I can have comfort in knowing that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, that I want to repent, I want to turn from my destructive ways, and I want to accept him today as my Savior. If that's you, go ahead and just lift one of your hands in the air for me. I see those hands. I see those hands. God bless you. I see those hands. You can put your hands down. 
all over the room. Let's pray this prayer together. Let's say it with power, strength, and authority. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for your sacrifice for my sins. Today I repent, which means I turn from my old ways, and I turn and walk in your way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I will walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can clap right there. You can clap. Here it is. I got an overtime point for you right now. The third thing that I want us to grab is this. Our love for the Father is shown how we celebrate his children. See, in this story, the older brother said, that son of yours. So what he was doing is he was jaded. He wasn't able to celebrate the fact that one of his own actually came back, even though though he went through some stuff. And in that moment, what we just did is is we gave opportunity for several people to step into the kingdom. And so it's not enough for us to just be okay with us being okay. If we're really going to be those people who God wants to emancipate greatness through us, we have to be concerned with our brother and our sister who may not have necessarily grabbed this truth. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. As I've been ministering this word, some of us have been trying to figure out, am I the older brother? Am I the younger brother? Let me give you this open book answer. All of us are actually both at different times. We're the younger brother when we are in our sin and we're operating in pride and when we don't necessarily see the light, but we're the older brother when we sometimes get caught up in ourselves and forget the grace that was extended to us. And so this is what I want to do as we end this service today. I want us to take some time to examine ourselves. We're going to take communion today. And if you didn't already get the elements, you can lift your hand. One of the ushers will bring it to you. But when we take communion, it's not just this religious exercise. What it is is the Bible says, do this often in remembrance of Jesus. Do this often to remind yourself of the sacrifice and the gift that he's given. And so as you receive those elements, this is what I want you to do. You say, I'm saved, but now we need to examine ourselves. I'm going to read the scripture so you understand what we're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 and 30, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of our Lord. But watch this. Let a man examine himself. This is your opportunity. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. When I hear that, I'm actually starting to look and say, that's why we operate like that. That's why we haven't really gone into the intentionality of what God is doing because we haven't really examined ourselves in the eyes of what God has already done for us. So in this moment, we get to do that because we want to be reminded of what he has said and done for us. So take a moment before we partake 
and examine yourself. Close your eyes, whatever you need to do. Just take a moment and ask yourself, have I been self-righteous? Have I been operating as a slave or as a son? Ask, how have I judged others who went away but God is calling home? Examine yourself. I'm going to invite you to stand on your feet as we take this moment. We prayed for healing earlier, and we're not praying to try to ask God to to convince him to do something. But in this moment of taking communion, we're just acknowledging what he's already done. And as we take communion, if you've never done this before, what we say, this is the body, this is the bread, this is the body of Christ who was broken for us. And when we take this, we're acknowledging that we're already healed. We're acknowledging that he died on the cross for us and we're already healed. So I want you to say these three words with me as you lift this up. Say, I am healed. Let's take now and eat together and seal that. As we take of the cup, this represents the blood of Jesus that wipes away our sins. And as we've already committed ourselves to Jesus and we've already walked into the understanding of salvation, what we're saying right now when we take this is, Lord, I remember your sacrifice and I'm thankful for the blood of Jesus. Let's take now and drink together. This is the way I want to end the service. You'll be able to throw those out on the way out. But I want us just to posture ourselves and seal this moment with an understanding of even something that we sung earlier, that I don't have to prove a thing. He's already approved of me. So let's take a moment and just rejoice with the Lord. And let him seal this in our spirits as our worship team leads us in this moment. Let's tap into what God has already done.